Well, we're here at Good Friday, and uh, I get to share with you uh, a little bit about that day. And uh, what I want, I want to begin with is this question. We call it Good Friday, but um, is it really good? I mean, for Barabbas, yeah, it's probably a, not just a good Friday, it's a great Friday. He gets to be set free as Jesus takes his place on the cross. But if you think about the disciples, it wasn't Good Friday for them. They're terrified and uh, they've lost their leader. Oh, good Friday? Mm, I don't know about that. And you think about Jesus, Good Friday, he's tortured. And um, you got to understand that crucifixion is not a private affair. So he is up there on that cross after being tortured, now nailed. He is stripped naked. All of his body parts are showing. It's the utmost act of humiliation. And then if you think about the torment that he's experiencing, anybody on that cross, they're losing control of their body functions. So you have blood, sweat, urine, feces. So the stench is, well, it's outrageous to say the least. So Good Friday? But then you think about maybe Jesus in his agony peers around and he sees, where are my disciples who said, we'll die with you? They're gone. Where are the people that he fed? They're gone. Where are the people that he healed? Not there. Where are the people that just, just four days ago, five days ago, cried out Hosanna and declared that this guy was our Messiah? Not there. So Good Friday? Uh, I don't know about a Good Friday. Or maybe it is Good Friday. Maybe what is happening on that cross that would appear so bad to everyone around there, maybe it's a Great Friday. And so we're going to talk about that today. So what I've been doing with you on our Wednesday at 4 o'clock Facebook teaching was taking you through the seven sayings of Jesus Christ on the cross. Well, tonight I'm going to take you through the seventh and final saying on the cross. So I've asked you to bring with you a nail with you today, tonight. And I want you to hold on to that nail because later on in the message, it will be of great value to what we're going to say. Now, before I get into this seventh saying of Jesus, can I just take you through something that I think is really, really cool? I'm going to take you through every saying that he makes, that he states on the cross. And I want to show you that every one of those sayings, when he says it, is a fulfillment of a prophetic statement before in the Old Testament. For instance, let me show you. I'm going to take you through all seven. He starts off with, Father, forgive them. Well, that's a fulfillment of Isaiah 53, 12, when it says that he interceded for the sinners, for the transgressors. And then he moves to, today you shall be with me in paradise. Huh? Well, that's a fulfillment also, because in Matthew 1.21, it is told to Joseph that Jesus, the son, shall save his people from their sins. And then he goes on to say to his mother, woman, behold your son. And the prophecy in Luke 2.35, it said to Mary, Mary, that even a sword shall pierce your own soul. 
pain and she's experiencing there watching her boy on the cross. And then fourthly, he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Well, those are the identical same words that are written in Psalm 22 and verse one. It's identical. Psalm 22 is a crucifixion chapter uh, of Psalms, even though crucifixion wasn't even invented at that time. But it's amazing what is dialogue and what is stated there. It has to be crucifixion. But the same words there are the same words that Jesus utters. And then number five, he says, I thirst. That's a fulfillment of Psalm 69, 21, when it says, in my thirst, they gave me vinegar to drink. And then he moves on to number six. It is finished. Well, if you read all of Psalm 22, the crucifixion Psalm, you find out at the very end, the last words are, he has performed it. In other words, he finished it. And then our seventh statement, which we're going to look at tonight on this Good Friday service. He says, Father, into thy hands, I commit my spirit. Identical same words of Psalm 31 and verse 5. Now, isn't that amazing? Every statement that he makes on the cross is a fulfillment of an Old Testament prophecy. I think that is fascinating to say the least. Now, today, tonight, let's look at the final statement of Jesus as we look at Good Friday within the context of all of this. In Luke 23 and verse 46, here's the last statement of Jesus. And Jesus crying out with a loud voice said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Having said this, he breathed his last. Now, <clears throat> let me try to put this in a perspective of Good Friday. Have you ever been so tired because you've been going, going for weeks, maybe even months, that finally that you just need a lot of extra sleep? And maybe you sleep a couple hours past your normal wake-up time. And maybe the night before you went to bed about four hours earlier than normal. And in total, you get 12, 13 hours of sleep because you just really needed it because you were so tired. And you wake up that next day. You ever notice when you get that much rest, life looks better. Your attitude is better. You're more creative. You get along with your coworkers. You get along with your family. You get along with your spouse. Food tastes better. Everything's better. Why? Well, because you got rest. Because you got what you needed. Rest has a way of making things a lot better. <clears throat> now, I want you to think of Good Friday as good because of the rest that it brings to our lives. And that's where I want to take you today. I want to show you how Good Friday brings us rest in many ways. I'm going to give you three specific today as we go through this thing. So Good Friday brings the rest of, number one, relationship restoration. It brings the rest of relationship restoration. He said, Father, into your hands, I commit my spirit. Okay, I have a question for you. 
What was his opening statement on the cross? His opening statement was, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. What was his middle statement on the cross? His middle statement was, my God, my God, meaning Father, why have you forsaken me? Where are you? You're gone. Now, I want you to think when you put all these statements together, on the cross, he started with relationship. Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. In the middle, he says, why have you forsaken me? That's broken, severed relationship. And then now at the end, he comes back to Father, into your hands, I commit my spirit. In other words, he's coming back into relationship restored. When he says, Father, I'm committing back to you. We're back in relationship. Let me just tell you about Jesus Christ. Relationship restoration is one of Jesus' specialties. And it's evidenced on the cross. He knows exactly what it's like to be in relationship, to have that relationship broken, and to have that relationship restored back to newness and wholeness again. He can restore any relationship. Listen to me, friend. He can restore your relationship, but you got to remember and not forget one thing, and that is <clears throat> to restore a relationship, you must live like Jesus in this respect. You got to die. Oh, not physically die, but you've got to die to yourself. You got to die to those old things that just don't work. And I know you're probably thinking, yeah, but it's them also. I get it. But you're not them. You are you. And you must be responsible for you. And you've got to die to yourself, your old ways embrace Jesus, embrace his teachings, obey the New Testament writings, and then you will find that Jesus will infuse life into the relationship. He will bring it back to not where it even once was at its best. He will bring it back into newness. Now, let me tell you why that's important because have you ever noticed when your relationships are right, you have rest? When your marriage is right, you have rest? When your dating life is right, you have rest? When your friendships are right, you have rest. Have you ever noticed that? That when the relationships are right, you have rest. That's what Good Friday is all about. It brings the rest of relationship restoration. Father, and then where are you? Broken relationship. And then Father again, renewed relationship. That's what Good Friday is all about. The blood of Jesus can restore any relationship if you just submit it to him. That's the first thing. Now, point Two, Good Friday brings the rest of relationship assurance. Now, I have a question for you. What are the circumstances that are surrounding the statement of Jesus when he says, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit? What are the circumstances that surround the statement? Well, he's suffering. It's intense. He's tortured. He's bleeding. He's dying. People are mocking him. He saved others himself he cannot save. Oh, he believed in God. Let God deliver him now. They're mocking him all over the place. And yet, in all the terrible conditions and circumstances that surround him, he enters into relationship with the Father. Isn't that amazing? In all these ugly conditions, 
He enters into communion and relationship with the Father. Let me tell you something about, about your life. Follower of Christ, I'm talking to you first. No matter your outward experiences, no matter the outward conditions, no matter what's going on around you, no matter the pain, no matter the disappointment, no matter the heartache, no matter whatever it is, you know that our relationship with God doesn't have to be affected by what we see, hear, or experience? Did you know that? <clears throat> some of us haven't dialed that in yet. Because some of us, when the conditions get bad, when the circumstances go south, we get like the, wa you know, like the waves back and forth, and we're back and forth with God. You see, we, we turn into that person that Jesus talked about who built their house upon the sand. And when the wind and the rain came, it blew that house apart and away because it was built on the wrong stuff. But then he adds, but the person who built their house on the rock, solid foundation, the wind and the rain comes and that house doesn't move, doesn't shake because it's built upon the rock. You see, in the middle of whatever we're going through, we can still have a relationship with God. We can still worship God. We can still come into the sanctuary and lift our hands to God, no matter what's going on. That's what Jesus is doing. In the middle of painful relationship, he has perfect peace. He has rest. He's in communion with God and he's in excruciating physical pain and humiliation. It's, 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 it's like this. You ever think of it like this? Okay. <clears throat> in the Old Testament, um, the Hebrew scriptures um, we have in, in, the, in the Old Testament uh, letter of Daniel, we have these three guys. If you're a follower of Christ, you probably know the story. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These guys, there's an, an ordinance that says you better bow before the king. And they ain't bowing. They say, we're not bowing to the king. We only bow to God, Yahweh. And he gives them a chance. Like, I'm going to give you a chance right now to bow. He says, no, if you don't bow, we're going to throw you in this furnace, this oven, this big old oven, if you don't bow. They said, look, <clears throat> our God will deliver us. These are their words. Our God will deliver us. And I love their next words. But even if he doesn't, we're not bowing to you. So what do they do? They heat the oven seven times hotter. They grab these guys and they're bound up and <laughs> And they, the people that threw them, the three guys in that big old furnace, they catch fire and die. And they find themselves in that furnace. And all of a sudden you would think they're burning up alive, but they don't hear any screams. And somebody, they go, hey, weren't there three guys we threw in there? Yeah. Well, there's four in there now. And they look in there and there's one like the son of man. That's the pre-incarnate Jesus Christ, before he came and took flesh, he always existed and he's in there in the oven with them and they're not dying. In fact, the fire has broken off the, the bondage and the, the straps on them that held them. It's freedom. But what's going on? In the middle of a fiery, fiery furnace, they have communion with God. In the middle of a terrible situation, they have communion with God. They, they have relationship with God. Isn't that something? In the middle of it, they have peace and they have rest because they're in communion with God. That, that's what Good Friday is all about. Now, let me take it even a step 
further in this idea here. And that is this. Jesus said this in John 10, 29. He says, my father who has given them to me, talking about followers of Christ, is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of my father's hand. Uh, let me show you a quick side note here that I really think is interesting. You could think about it more on your own time. Jesus says into your hands, I commit my spirit. Why didn't he say my body? Uh, because remember, uh, uh, I think it was last Sunday I shared with you that don't fear the person who killed the body, Jesus said. Fear the person who killed the soul in hell. See, our soul and our spirit, he takes that and it lives forever with Jesus Christ. I'm assured, I'm totally assured and follower of Christ through you that no matter what happens to us, I'm in good hands, man. I'm in good hands and I'm going to heaven. That's what Jesus is actually saying. And here's the application from the Old Testament scriptures. Remember when, when God commands Noah to build the ark? Remember that? And the day comes when the rain's going to come and he says, Noah, get in the ark. And Noah gets in the ark. And God shuts the door. Uh, the rains come. The ground breaks open as the waters come from below and from above. And as that ark filled with Noah, his three boys and their wives and all those animals is in the midst of a storm. Noah has rest inside there. He has assurance. You know what Noah's name means? It means rest. That's what it literally means. When Jesus said, come unto me and I'll give you rest, it was like he was saying, come unto me and I'll give you Noah. I'll give you rest. I'll give you assurance. Listen, follower of Christ. Once you're in Christ, no one can snatch you out of his hand. No one can. You have relationship assurance, and this is what Good Friday is all about. You have relationship appearance because you are in God's hands. Now, point three. This is going to be good. You see, Good Friday brings the rest of removal. Removal? Check it out. This is, this is going to be my favorite now, okay? Here's, I got you all the way here to, to teach you this part here. I'm going to bring it all together. Now, think. <clears throat> In Genesis chapter 1, verse 31, God finishes creating on the sixth day and he calls the sixth day very good. Not just good, but very good. One verse later, chapter 2 of Genesis and verse 1, it says that God finished everything. Everything was finished. Hmm. Another verse later in Genesis 2 and verse 2, it says, after finishing creating in six days, God rested on the seventh day. Okay. Jesus is on the cross. It's Good Friday. He's going through all the statements. And statement number six, he says, it is finished the same way 
at the end of the sixth day of creation, it was finished. Is that wild or what? The parallel? Then the seventh statement of Jesus on the cross, he, 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 he rests. He says, in, in, into thy hands I commit my spirit. That's a rest statement. He rests just like God rested on the seventh day. I like that. I like the parallel. But you might be asking, what's the application of rest for you and I? It's a removal. Now, let me, let me take it down the road. I'm going to turn to Colossians, Colossians chapter 2. <clears throat> and I'm going to look at verses 13, 14, and 15. Colossians 2, verse 13, 14, and 15. Let me read it, and then let me go back over it. When you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh. Let me tell you something right now. We're not, we weren't sinners. We were dead. Dead to God. Remember, God told Adam and Eve, the day you eat from it, you're going to die. And they did die in relationship. They did die spiritually. They did die. They didn't die physically yet. But we were dead. When the prodigal son comes home, the father says, my son who is dead is now alive again. We were dead. We're not, we weren't sinners. We were dead to God. We're dead in, our, in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh. He made you alive together with him, having forgiven us all our transgressions. Say all at home right now. Say all. Okay, good. I think I heard you. Verse 14. Having canceled out the certificate of debt, consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us. And he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. Verse 15, when he had disarmed the rulers and authorities, he made a public display of them, having triumphed over them through him. Okay, now let, let me try to break it down. He says, verse 13, we have been forgiven. This word is taken from the Greek word for grace. Forgiveness is an act of grace, of the grace of God, that he gives us something we just don't even deserve, my friends. It's the grace of God that he forgives us of all of our sins. Verse 14, it says that they canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us. See, what they would do to people back then, they would write down all the violations and the penalties that went with the violations and they were written down. Paul is using that visual like an IOU that we owe God because of our sins. We owe him and we could never pay the debt of our sins. It's an impossibility. And then it says in verse 14 that he has taken it out of the way. Huh? He has canceled. He has canceled out these things. Now, <clears throat> you know what cancel mean? You know what take it out of the way means? means to whitewash a wall. If you have ever painted a wall that had any kind of, I don't know, old pencil marks or paint, whatever, that wall is clean, it's new. There is no more um, semblance of anything that was on that wall before. It's clean. It's to whitewash a wall. It's a picture of how Jesus has washed away all of our sins. But how did he do it? 
How did he do it? In verse 14, it says he canceled it, he took it out of the way, having nailed it to a cross. You got a nail out there? Like I told you to have a nail? He nailed it to a cross. Now, this is just a regular nail from my house. But those are wrought iron nails. They were long. They were thick. He nailed every one of our sins to the cross. But it doesn't even end there. In verse 15, those nails also disarmed the rulers and the authorities. What? Here, here's what you got, you got to get the picture that Paul is writing in the Roman Empire. This is what they understand by what he's saying. When a Roman general conquered a people or a land, he would march back home as the conqueror. He'd come into the city riding the white stallion, and in tow, he's got his army, but he also has his, the, the people he's defeated, the uppity-ups in society from that conquered land. He brings them in, they're bound, they're stripped, they're humiliated, all their possessions have been taken from them. They have nothing, they are conquered. Paul uses the visual saying, that's what Jesus did when he was nailed to the cross. When the blood flowed from his wrist, he conquered. First, he wipes out all of our sins. He whitewashes it all, all of it. That's why it's Good Friday. And not only that, he disarms the rulers. He removes the power of Satan himself. He has no more power over us. Nothing is what Paul is saying. On Wednesday nights, I take my cans out. I don't know what nights you take yours out. Mine's a Wednesday night because they pick it up Thursday. Have you ever forgotten to put your cans out? And you had a pretty good amount of trash in there? Maybe some old food, vegetables, whatever it is. It starts to stink, huh? And boy, does it stink. That's why you make sure you get those cans out front so those who remove it will come and remove it. Otherwise, it's a stink. Look, apart from Jesus, our righteousness is but filthy rags. But he comes along. He comes along and allows himself to be nailed to a cross. And by being nailed and the blood flows from his body, there's the removal. There's the removal of all of our sins. And look, you and I both know, I think, that the removal of our sins and the forgiveness that he gives to us, where we no longer have a guilty conscience, we no longer walk in shame, that's rest. Isn't it? That's rest. That's what he comes to give you. That's why it's Good Friday. Because he brings you rest. That you don't have to be haunted by the things that you did 10 years ago or 10 minutes ago. It's been canceled out. Nailed to the cross. Now, <clears throat> I want to close with this thought. Because I just think it's really cool. 
Pontius Pilate, he orders Jesus, take him and crucify him. He didn't want to do it, but because of the pressure of the Jewish leaders, and there's a lot of background story to that that is for a different teaching, but he really didn't have a choice. He really, really didn't. But because of the pressure, he says, crucify him. But here's what's fascinating. Over, when Jesus crucified, they put a sign over his head, probably nailed there. And the sign said, Jesus the Nazarene, the king of the Jews. That's a lot of words in English. But in Hebrew, it's four words. And it was written up there in Latin, which is the language of the world, in um, Greek, which is the language of Hellenization of the area, and in Hebrew, the Latin the language of the Jews. In Hebrew, it's four words. You take those four words in Hebrew. And the first word begins with the letter, the Yod. The second one begins with Hey. The third one begins with Wad. The third one begins with Hey again. Those four letters are Y-H-W-H. Those are the consonants of the name Yahweh, of God. It means God. Isn't that wild? Is it possible that as these Jewish leaders look up at that thing and they see what? And that's what really upsets them. But is it possible that Pilate in one last moment just wants to stick them for what they forced him to do? Or is it even more possible on that Good Friday that Pilate, when he asked Jesus, who are you? Please tell me, who are you? That he's beginning to think, maybe this guy's more than just mortal. Maybe he is somebody. Maybe he is this. Maybe he is God. Maybe he's Yahweh. Is it possible? It's possible. But here's where I want to take it to you. See, if you're watching me right now, maybe you're leaning that way too. Oh, maybe you've been, I don't know, I'm a skeptic. Maybe you've been an atheist for a while. Maybe you even thought Christians are crazy. I thought that at one time. But maybe you're starting to think, maybe he is God. In fact, I do think he's God. If that's the case, why don't we make it a really, really, really good Friday? I'm going to give you an opportunity right now to place your faith in Jesus. God in the flesh. It's a very simple process. You just have to believe in him and him only as your Lord, Savior, and only God. Or maybe... You've drifted away from God. You're back and forth and back and forth. And now it's time to build your life upon the rock, like in the illustration Jesus gave. It's time for you to rededicate your life and settle it from now on. From now on. I'm going to lead you in a prayer right now. If you've never placed your faith in Jesus, or you're back and forth, but you realize, I've got to rededicate my life. I've got to get this thing right. I'm going to say this prayer. So if you're putting your faith in Jesus for the first time or rededicating your life, repeat this after me. Keeping your faith in Jesus Christ. Let's do that right now. Here we go. Repeat after me. Jesus, 
Forgive me of my sins. And I know I'm forgiven. Thank you for shedding your blood on that good Friday for me. I place my faith in you as my Savior, my Lord, my only God. Today I choose to follow you with all my heart for the rest of my life. Now, if you prayed that prayer, we're so grateful. But you know what? You got to follow up on that. Tell somebody. Keep, keep following us or churches. Keep watching Bible studies. And when the church doors open again, get into a fellowship. If you don't have a Bible, um, get a Bible somehow. Read in the New Testament. Stay in the New Testament. Stay in the Gospels for about a year. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Just start finding out about Jesus who you're following first. And then you'll learn more and more as time goes on. And remember, you're not perfect, but you walk and live after the one who is perfect, who died for you. And you're going to watch God change your life and bring rest to your soul and restoration of relationships and assurance that when you die, you know where you're going to be going. That's what you're going to see. Now, what I want to do right now in these closing moments that we have together, I want to partake of communion together. And I know we told you to have the elements ready for you. And, you know, if some of you couldn't get to the store, that's okay. You could use any liquid you want to, water, you know, tea, lemonade. It, Jesus is not panicking over that one, okay? Trust me. Any bread, any crackers, whatever you want. But I want us to partake of communion together. You're there with your families, and I hope you're doing this, okay? On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he had that last supper and he called his disciples with him. And what does he do? First, he takes bread and he says, this is my body, which was broken for you. Huh, broken for us. And Jesus' body was broken. It was beaten. It was bashed. It was broken. But I want you to think about that for our lives, period. Doesn't it take a soft brokenness in our hearts to really live in restored relationships? Isn't that the only way that arrogance can leave? And we can really live to the fullest and have rest in all relationships? We're to be broken. We're to be soft. With that said, let's partake of the bread. That same night, Jesus takes a cup. He says, this cup is symbolic of my blood. Pour it out for you. Hmm. Drink it. And they did. You see, I think the symbolism there is that we're to drink all the forgiveness that Jesus has to offer us. Every bit of it. And we're to walk in new life knowing that our sins past, present, and future are under the blood because we are justified in right standing with God because he took the nail on the cross and canceled out all the certificate of debt. So with that said, let's partake of the cup.
Now let me pray for you and your family. Jesus, I just pray for blessings. Blessings upon you as an individual, your family. Your family might be in another state. I pray for them all. Pray for safety. I pray that everyone in your family would come to know Christ and become a follower of him. And I pray for protection and blessing upon that home of yours. I pray for healing in your body. For those of you suffering from cancer, I pray for healing right now. For those of you in broken relationships or strained relationship, I pray for healing. For those of you that are struggling in a financial picture right now, I pray God's blessing upon your life. I just pray that God would do things that, well, you know, you'd never expect. Maybe you weren't even looking for Maybe you gave up on, but God would renew it all again because that's the kind of God that we serve. He repositioned them out of Egypt into a promised land. And I pray that he repositions you out of whatever Egypt you're in into a promised land because that's the kind of God we serve.